Welcome back. We're the pot of greed. That's right. Another week. Thanks for joining us. So, um, I think we ought to start with, with the most exciting product launch happening ever. It's the Ten of Dueling Heroes that come out this week. Could you have said that any less unexcited? Well, no, it's not that I'm unexcited, but I did see something kind of interesting about these tins. So, they're available on TCG Player right now. You can get a case of these for like 160 bucks, which does not bode super well. For uh, that's twelve tins for one sixty. Yeah, I mean, like, how, what does that equate to per tin? Like, like fourteen bucks, something like that. Yeah, it's, it's in that realm. Not a lot, but um, yeah, I'm still gonna actually buy a few though. But Paul, there's nothing in them. I mean, that's what they say. But I just like buying stuff like that. I will say, I mean, I'm gonna try to rarity upgrade a few of my decks, see how that goes, and um, maybe we'll do like an opening. Maybe we'll. Find some video. Oh, because Paul plays Exosisters. But wait, Paul, that's Master Duel. We're, just, we're talking about physical Well, I cards. do have physical Exosisters, so. I've never right. seen him play those. You're going to get any, anything you're looking for in them? Uh, no. Well, okay, and that's not true. Uh, there, I go, there, there I go contradicting myself again. <sighs> yeah, but um, I want the Neos Quarter Century. Yeah, I know you mentioned that last week. Any decks you'd like to upgrade? Uh, I mean... Be only because I can. I, I, these aren't decks I was really looking to upgrade, but there are new. Um, up, oh, forgot the archetype name. I mean, I know like uh, Amazonas. I know you've been playing that. That they got. There were Amazonas in there. Mm-hmm. Oh, the newer ones. Okay, yeah, the they newer could ones use from that. Last year. Uh, were there any ninjas? I can't remember. Uh, ninjas did get reprints, although I don't think that they got upgrades. But they kind of got a different treatment because they got stuff in OTS packs. Oh, yeah, we did get the OTS so. upgrades. We got the uh, Tobari. And uh, the Duplication got a common printing, but we hadn't had a Duplication in yeah. years. I think they also did Iron Digger got super, or am I thinking did of... Iron Digger get a, bu- a, a boost? I can't remember. Yeah, so that's just your quick news. I mean, the tins are coming out this week. Let us know if you guys picked any up, if you're enjoying it. I have. I was watching an opening randomly just on YouTube last night of somebody who'd like gotten a case. It was like a random channel. I'd never heard of them. Changed your life forever. Um, And like... You know, it made me think that even though I know that these products are not getting a great rap right now, these were the happiest people to be, like, opening these tins. They just seemed really excited about opening them. It was, like, this one guy and I guess one of his friends or whatever, and they were just really excited to, like... Did they make their money back? Stuff. And I have no clue. I, but they weren't talking about money. So the only okay. thing that matters is if you can make your money back. Yeah, I know. That's the only value that Yu-Gi-Oh products have. We, we're kidding, by the way. Like, I mean, it, it's sarcasm. Fine. Yeah, it's fine to open products just for the fun of it. And these people are opening and they just seemed really pleased. So I was happy that at least they were enjoying themselves. What was their best pull? Uh, I mean, that you saw. I don't know that they had like a best one, but they did manage to get like several copies of um, different bestial things like bestial Lubellion and stuff like that, which I know oh, that, one's that was got a, a secret a price right? tag. Yeah. Kind of a disappointing secret because it already was printed as secret. So I thought they were going to maybe wait. Do it it's like secret little... in a tin too. I believe so. Yes. I thought the whole point of tin was to give things a different, different rarity. rarity. Yeah, it's kind of weird have. when the tins do that. Like they'll kind of not have the like. I like it better when a card gets like a new rarity, not just another secret rare. Because yeah, I thought really... secret like booster pack secrets were printed as ultras in mega tins. Maybe that's how it used to be, and they started changing that. I don't know. Don't know. Also, an update on the uh, Platinum Dark Magician card. It went on sale this morning. Hey, um, how many you this. bought? How many you bought? Oh, I bought like ten. I did not. But oh, okay. But uh, I did hear that some people were having issues with pre-ordering their. Oh, I thought Dark you meant Magician. with like affording it. <laughs> well, 
I mean, probably. Um, they were having some issues with ordering it on the site. Um, some people were saying like, it was declining cards or like booting them out or it just took several tries. Uh, so, I mean, hopefully they're able to get it. That does show, though, that there was demand for it. True. If, if people least, are having trouble ordering it, it does not mean that the system is faulty. It just means that people cared. Or both. So, <laughs> you know, uh, I thought that was kind of neat. I know that last week we kind of gave that product a hard time. And I do stand by, like, what I said. I think it's not a product for everyone. I think that you should, if you want something like that. But can you imagine it just hanging up right here, just in the middle of the setup? I mean, if someone wants to send me one for free, Konami maybe? Um, <laughs> I'll gladly <laughs> They don't like it, you that much. But, yeah. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Just some updates on those two things. Now, one new thing is that uh, YCS Brazil happened last weekend. Ah. I thought that was really cool. What um, one? You know, that's the only thing that matters. So I heard that Pac and his team won. I didn't ask you who. Um, no, we actually should take note of skilled duelists in the community. Yeah, congratulations to all three members of Team Better Have It. Um, it's Ruben Penaranda, who was playing Bestial Dragon Link, Kamal Crooks, who was playing Pirelli, and Pacawat Pamordset. Oh, I you were on I his team once. destroyed that name, but um, he was playing Unchained. Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, a great time to remind everybody that Pac is uh, kind of goaded because he helped me win this trophy that I don't deserve for mm. the Master Duel Invitational earlier in the year when uh, most of our team kind of floundered. He uh, came back in the end with sort All of won one game. Yeah. Hey, hush. I tried. <laughs> team guaranteed you are. So Pac is my goat. Um, Yo, this trophy's actually got like weight to yeah, it. Yeah, it's the heftiest I, trophy. When I picked this up, I thought this was going to be very light, and then I almost dropped it. I think it's really exciting, though, to see um, Unchained in particular manage to get a win like this. It doesn't seem like that excited a lot of people. Yo, he, Paul's been talking about building Unchained for an actual month now, and uh, maybe I think he'll I do it. a little too long because now the cards are expensive. I'll still try to get them, though. I mean, I just I like the, the idea of it. It's uh, I know. It's um, cool. Plunder Patrol have been getting a lot of attention lately. Have they? Did they manage to? They've been topping some stuff. Okay. And uh, luckily I have all my Plunder Patrols. And uh, I will not let what one influence my decision making with my deck build. It's staying pure. Yeah. Well, I um I definitely think that that's a really cool thing. Uh, just seeing, you know, 3v3 YCS. I think people always like that formula. I remember that. We played in one, and it was a lot of fun. We so. did play in one, but we were on different teams, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the system is fun. I think one of the things I like about the 3v3 format is that while it doesn't really change the nature of your games very much directly, the fact that you can communicate with your team does help to kind of improve the level of play. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think it also helps with assault. I you know, I did like seeing when we went to Worlds and Macedon was a three v three teams kind of format. And I did like seeing the players strategize like during like during the match. Yeah, during in between rounds, they were kind of like chatting with each other, like giving plays. I mean, I know um, it just seems like when you get to play Yu Gi Oh with a group, it helps to kind of dissipate some of the salt because normally Yu Gi Oh is like this one v one game, and you don't really have anybody to share your victory in or like share your defeats in right so when you are playing uh, with a team losing doesn't feel like such a bitter experience like oh this person just sacked me this matchup this card so cheap you know whatever and and instead you can just kind of like 
on to the next game, right? Like your teammates can, even when we were playing, and this was like YCS Atlanta 2019, even when we were playing, I remember a lot of situations where like, you know, a person would, like one of my opponents would kind of fixate on a mistake and their teammates would be like, hey, like focus on the game, like, you know, shut it out, like let's finish the game. And I think that's important because like it's easy, I think, to be like a doomer and like just beat yourself up for messing up a combo or whatever. And so. I remember when we, at the team YCS, we were all intimidated by one of the opponents. He was a, he was a very large and scary person. And even though we each had different opponents, we all felt like we were playing against him. <laughs> yeah, so the 3v3 winners, it's a cool thing. And then also uh, the YCSs are kind of on a roll now because this weekend, I believe, is YCS Vancouver. That's in Canada. Mm-hmm. And then I think YCS Mexico City. Or Cancun, Mexico. Cancun, sorry. yeah. Yeah, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, the YCS circuit's on. It's happening. And it's the same format since before Worlds. A little bizarre, yeah, that, that it's, like, you know, these YCSs are in full swing, but we don't have a ban list yet. That certainly is a little... It's just, it's awkward. It's awkward, but I guess the reason is just because of the 10s. Like, the 10s got to come out. They got to sell a few of those. And then maybe they can, they can hit, like, Cashdera things like that of that nature. Just leave me one Arise Heart. Nuke the all the other cards. <laughs> like you can put all the Cashdera cards to one. Just every single one. Yeah, people aren't gonna understand what you're saying. I think for context, you guys should know Alec actually likes the Cashdera archetype. I, I, I like their aesthetic. I think they look cool. And I wanted to play the deck, but they were too good. <sighs> but once Konami hits all the cards to one, I can play a really horrible Cash Terra deck. Which will be having fun. I do think that's something that a lot of people, um, I know like they'll hear what we're saying. And I noticed that there are people in the comments will get kind of confused by like stuff like that. Yeah, when we say that, what we really mean is just that like, you know, Alec, and I'm, I'm kind of like this too. I kind of just like playing archetypes as they are. So like for me, it's not really about whether or not it's like, Good or bad, but it's whether or not I like it. So I think... There is a limit to all things, though. Hmm. Like, Red Eyes? Can't stand playing that deck. They really do. They, they treat Red Eyes dirty. That is, not a, that is not a good archetype. I was reading a comment on our most recent video about, like, the Deck Masters. We did a Deck Master duel between Red Eyes and Dark Magician. Check it out if you haven't. Yeah, it's on the main channel. Really good video. Uh, somebody informed me that Red Eyes sold once per duel. Yeah, Alec was playing Red Eyes by the way, so I guess you can speak to. Yeah, Red Eyes Soul. It re it's it reads as such a bad card that in your mind you trick yourself into it being better than what it is. Yeah, it's once per duel that burn effect. It's once the wait the burn effect is once per duel. Yeah. Yo, I can't stand that card. Oh my god! Yeah, it's very. Uh, I thought you meant the like special summon effect. Was I mean that might be, but I know the burn effect is. Then what? Yeah, Red Eyes get such bad treatment from Konami. They really do. They just always make their cards so awkward or so overbalanced. And what are they balancing it for? What are they scared of? I really don't know. I think that's something that they've got to like. It's funny because like other legacy support tends to at least be cohesive. Red Eyes, it's just like all over the place. All over man. the place. It sucks. I still think the best bit of a support Red Eyes ever got was um, a Red Eyes Baby Dragon and Red Eyes. Um, uh, gear freed. It was but certainly cool, if nothing else. I just, I just liked uh, how well 
that float into gear freed words because then baby dragon would equip that could trigger your gear freed's effect or you cannot trigger the gear freed's effect and it uses other effect during your turn so special summon red eyes from your grave baby dragon would go to the grave it, it was a, anyway, outside of the fact that red eyes baby dragon had to be destroyed by battle i never liked that yeah the, once again that's, I think that they love like overbalancing the grave cards. by an opponent's card i think would have been a good I can go on multiple rants about the Red Eyes archetype and why it frustrates me to playing that deck, mostly because I just love the Red Eyes Black Dragon monster. I have a collection of Red Eyes. Yeah, I mean, hey, no, go go into it. What, what, what about it is... Oh, okay, cool. So, the Red Eyes archetype is split up, essentially, between, like, three different strategies that none of which got properly, like, focused on or, pan, or even panned out remotely. Mm-hmm. First, you have this kind of Gemini strategy with the... Um, that's like Black Flare Dragon. Yeah, Black Flare Dragon, the Archfiend Skull, skull yeah. Guy, and Comet Dragon, all being Geminis for seemingly no reason. We, Geminis were already bad, but to make these guys even worse, their Gemini effects suck. Yeah. Comet Dragon has like some type of protection effect he can give to other dragons. Um, the Red... Black Flare Dragon can do some burn after it successfully uh, has a battle. And the Skull Guy, he, now he his effect's okay because he can actually just de- destroy monsters that are weaker than it on the field. Its effect is okay, but they're all Gemini, so that makes them terrible. Then you have this Red Eyes Fusion strategy, and that centers around the Red Eyes Fusion spell card, which should be fine since Red Eyes Fusion sends from the deck. However, two problems. One, the fusions all have very, very specific fusion requirements. Yes, very specific. Like, for for instance, um, the Black Skull Retrain, I forget what it's called now, but the Black Skull Retrain, it requires you to send a normal Archfiend for its fusion summon. But if you're playing Red Eyes Fusion and you're sending from a deck, your Gemini Archfiend isn't a normal monster in the deck, so now you're forced to play... Summon Skull. Yeah, very awkward. And a deck that already runs level 7s, you don't need more bricks, but here we are. Then, and it has very different requirements from Comet Dragon, which has very different requirements from Slash Dragon. So, it's actually a very awkward mess. And then the second problem is Red Eyes Fusion doesn't let you do anything the turn you use it. You can't normal or special summon monsters. All you can do is set. So you get to play this card, and your turn's pretty much over, which means you probably lose because none of your fusions have such impactful effects that that being your only play for a turn is even remotely good. And then the third strategy is this kind of a quip spell strategy that came with uh, Baby Dragon and Red Eyes Gear Freed. They got the Slash Dragon to go with it, and I think that was actually the best bit of Red Eyes support we ever got mostly because the cards actually work together like i described with baby dragon floating into gear free and equipping the gear free and doing all these things and baby dragon even searches the best red eyes card we ever got but it's not a red eyes card black metal dragon it's a level one it floats when it goes such a great great card but it's not a red eyes and that equip spell strategy got no support after yeah if I can chime in here too, I Go think for it. with Red Eyes, they, um, I don't know how we ended up on a Red Eyes tangent, but I'm here for it. <laughs> I think uh, another issue that I ended up having with Red Eyes is they tried to overbalance it so much early on in weird ways, like uh, Blackstone of Legend, which is supposed oh, to be Lord. kind of the alternative to like Whitestone of Legend, is just kind of worse. I mean, you contribute it to Summon of Red Eyes from your deck, which is cool, 
but then you can't use its like recycle effect in the same turn. So that's like a little awkward. And since you usually Slow have a normal summon it, it's like it sort of sucks. And then there's like cards from the red stone, which they did not call a red eyes card. So yeah. it makes it like you can't search it with inside and you can't, you know. There's and just cards of the red stone actually is a very specific draw um discard cost. It has to send a level seven red eyes monster. Even though there are non level seven red eyes and there are level seven they, and there are level seven monsters that you could run, but they are not red eyes, so you can't use it. It's, it has very few targets. Yeah, and then they just have these kind of the miscellaneous new ones that are like alternative red dragon, which is just objectively worse than like blue eyes alternative white dragon. It's alternative, harder to summon. And yeah, alternative red is good and compared to the rest of some of your red eyes support, but compared to blue eyes alternative? <laughs> yeah, and then there's like soul and there's meteor dragons, the new one. And, like, I guess the the idea I get with, like, Red Eyes is just that they're all designed awkwardly to begin with. And then at different times by, like, mm. different card design teams. So none of it ever really seems to smoothly work with each other. And it just really sucks because it's, like, Blue Eyes and Dark Magician, they've gone out of their way to make them as streamlined. And honestly, in many cases, straight up redundant. Like, with Magician Salvation. Yeah. And, Wall of Light and all that stuff. Blue Eyes like, was meta at a time. Like, they've managed to make them so streamlined and at least consistent. So even though the decks aren't, like, meta-tier decks, they are still very much workable strategies. With Red Eyes, it's just a bag of bricks and, like, everything's a neg one or it's just awkward or it's so specific. The be- I love that the best Red Eyes cards, they don't really work together. Yeah. Black Metal Dragon not being a Red Eyes, that's, that's, a, that's a horrible issue. Uh, Red Eyes Insight... And the new um, Red Eyes Meteor Dragon. Yeah, which is probably the best thing they've gotten in a while. And even that's those are all great play. cards, but there's nothing that there's no glue. Yeah, Red Eyes doesn't have like the glue, and I think it's a real shame. But you know, I mean, I guess it's like Joey in the show, kind of a bit of a mess. Kind of, but a it bit has of a potential. Mess. Potential. That's that's always Joey's Joey's whole deal. So. um yeah, check out the video, though. It's, yeah, it's a fun I video. summoned the Red Eyes Sword. All right, so here's something else. Yu-Gi-Oh! TCG reveals September releases and New York Toy Fair plans. Oh. So this is actually something new. Um, Konami revealed, of course, what they're releasing this month, which is the Dueling Heroes tin and the Crimson King structure deck. Something I'm actually kind of excited for myself. But they also said that they're supposed to be revealing some new cards or decks or something at the New York Toy Fair that's in Manhattan on September 30th to October 3rd. Is that a quote, cards or decks or something? We also learned that the company will be showing off unannounced cards and decks during the Toy Fair. Oh. Unannounced. So there's supposed to be some new stuff. I don't know what that will be. Uh, new decks. Yeah, any yeah, cards and decks is an interesting way of I mean, like, writing that. Maybe off. you think there might be there might be some TCG exclusive deck. So that my, they might be pushing. Yeah, my guess is that something TCG exclusive. Since if it wasn't, we probably would have known about it from the OCG. I also thought maybe that they just are going to be showing off the new two-player starter deck. That could be and it. That could kind that of be, could be what it. they mean by that, which would be a bit of a letdown for most people, but at least would be kind of interesting to me. I want to know what's in, in the thing. Uh, oh, and speaking of that, I was informed and then later confirmed that they pushed that starter deck back to like January of next year. 
And that was the number one thing I was looking forward to out of Yu-Gi-Oh! this year, and now it's next year. Yeah, I was looking forward to being able to gift that to, like, younger family members. You know what, Paul? I'm going to take a nap. Wake me up in 2024. Yeah, so... But I do not know what they might be revealing. I'm very curious, uh, just because it feels like it's something that is truly a mystery. So, But could it also be that you're just desperate to have any type of good news with Yu-Gi-Oh? I think that's all of our problem in a way. Huh? Yeah. We're always... But, I mean, I will be keeping my eyes glued to the screen, and I will, you know, of course, we'll talk about it on this podcast when we find out more, whatever that more might be. Um, I mean, I think, like, I'll say this. Konami's in a position where, like, right now, I think they really... We need some home run products, and we need some big news, and, like, stuff to kind of get people in better spirits around these Yu-Gi-Oh cards, because it's, it's a little rough. It's to me. It's kind of hard to believe that um, the Master Duel high that Yu Gi Oh was on when when Master Duel released has worn off like completely. I mean, I think it's just the same old thing where like something kind of blows up and it's fairly mainstream. And Master Duel brought in a lot of new content creators, streamers, and like just new excitement and interest. There were a lot of old friends that like I had that would just tell me like, "Oh yeah, I tried out Master Duel and really had a lot of fun. I forgot about Yu Gi Oh and it was like a cool thing." And they played it, and they liked the music, and they like all the stuff. But then, like, kind of, and I'm sorry if I'm sounding a bit too harsh here, the modern Yu-Gi-Oh effect kind of kicks in, where you pretty quickly realize that as fun and flashy as Master Duel can be, it sucks getting comboed for 10 minutes. Yeah. And then, like, having to stare down Barone, Opelosa, Thunder Dragon, Colossus, and, like, I don't know, like, Chaos Angel or something else. Like, it's, you know... That happens, and that really scares people off. Uh, and so I think that's where, you know, a lot of that deflation comes in. Now, this, the product issue this year, I know, is a little bit... It's like a different thing, but it isn't helping with the overall mood. So they need to announce something kind of... I don't know, it's kind of exciting. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I got to galvanize the community somehow. I do have a hot take, though. Oh, you have a hot take. It's a conversation I don't think a lot of people are really ready to have. You and I have had it. And, oh, okay. Uh, you know. I'm not sure what it is, though, you know. I think that there is one product this year that is the best Yu-Gi-Oh! product that's come out the entire year. Can you guess what it is? Um, It's definitely not Soul Burning Volcano. It's not. It is Speed Duel Streets of Battle City. Oh, okay. And I, I genuinely believe that it is the best Yu-Gi-Oh! product to come out of this year. And uh, it's not even close. I, I, I actually think that a lot of people will not maybe understand what I mean or they might disagree. Like initially, it is the only product, in my opinion, that actually has just inherent value. It is something that you can pick up. It's something that you can play. The print quality of those Speed Duel cards is astronomically better than the quality control mess we've been getting. Speed Duel cards. For the last nice. couple of years in other TCG products. And like you can just show it to friends and play Yu-Gi-Oh! and have fun. And then you know what you can do after that? You can pack it all back up and be done. Yeah. And then pull it out again when you and your friends want to have some fun again. And I think that it's one of those nice things because it's far removed from the tensions of modern Yu-Gi-Oh! And uh, it lets you kind of just relive your anime days. And it's something that, you know, my advice to people, like with getting that pack, really, find some friends who used to play Yu-Gi-Oh! with you in school or whatever. 
play with them and then don't look up shit about this game on the internet. <laughs> like, stay, just stay away from it. Like, literally, like, I'm not even joking. If I was to bring this home and, like, play with my cousins who used to kind of know about Yu-Gi-Oh! or whatever, my, like, like, siblings and cousins, I'd be like, here, I got this thing. It's, like, from Battle City. You remember the show, right? And we can all pick a character. We can all play their deck and put it away, and that's it. And I, I wouldn't convince them to, like, don't go on the internet. Don't look up anything else. Because all you're going to find is people angry, people arguing, a metagame, synchros, combos, someone yelling about Maxi. You'll find one of my videos where I'm bitching, like, every other day. Like, all it is is just, like... <laughs> you're part of the problem. Yeah, I'm part of the problem. Like, it's... it's we're, Everyone's, like, angry online. So I think that the Speed Duel product is good because it can kind of... It allows you to remove yourself from that, if only... For a short while. Just and, enjoy uh, some nice, relaxing Yu-Gi-Oh with buddies. I mean, you were saying you were planning on taking that uh, to some... Like, oh, yeah, guys. Home. Like, I've been actually rebuilding those Speed Duel boxes. Because, you know, we open them and use them for our, uh, for our tournaments. But a lot of times, those cards just end up in our bulk. And they don't have too much purpose since we aren't really Speed Duel players. Like, we don't go to our locals for it. So, those cards end up in our bulk. But what I've been doing is I've been getting the boxes again. We didn't throw them away. I've been rebuilding the sets just by going through our collection and adding the cards back with the intention of, well, just going back home and playing with my friends. My my, my non-Yu-Gi-Oh like Yu -Gi -Oh friends. Mm -hmm. People that haven't played Yu-Gi-Oh in like a decade. Because uh, Yu-Gi-Oh is fun. Like, it's hard to remember that sometimes, but Yu-Gi-Oh is a fun game. And if you take our, the problem with products and the 10-minute turns and YouTube and social media out of it, you can have a great time with Speed Duel products. Yeah, you can. So I think that's certainly, uh, you know, it's not a conversation everyone wants to have, but I think it's the best product this year. And I don't think it's close. Now, I will say one other thing about products, because I do have a, like, this isn't a hot take, or even, like, financial advice, I should say. Uh oh You know how, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! products right now are, like, tanking in value and, like, sealed products and stuff? Yeah. Like, right now, TCG player Soul Burning Volcano has gotten as low as, like, 27 bucks. That's like why shops don't want to carry the stuff. Yeah, shops don't want to carry it, right? Like, I saw Duelist Nexus for, like, $42 a box, um, which is very, very low. I actually think... Oh, and, and you know what I said about the Megatons earlier. If you just kind of want to open products now, it's a pretty good time to buy them. <laughs> I mean, if you think about, like... Now, this is not, this isn't like opening with the intention of making your money back or anything. Clearly, there's a reason why these things have gotten as low as they have. You won't. <laughs> but it's more about like if you are just a person, a pack opening fiend, or you want to gift this to someone maybe or whatever, or just buy them and not open them and hold on to them and then watch in like a year. Maybe they're worth them. I don't know. I'm you saying, know? yo, Yu Gi Oh product appreciates y'all. Sealed boxes. Yeah, sealed boxes go from up. years ago do go up. So, I mean, like it might be. In this doom and gloom period where everyone's saying these products are so awful and I'm not buying sealed ever, Konami's evil scam. I mean, you know, I was like, you know, I was sitting on TCG player tonight and I was like, huh, I might just like buy like, you know, some of this Duel's Nexus for 40 bucks a box and now, just Paul, see what, what happens. Now, what name on TCG player are you selling hundreds of these boxes under? Oh, I'm not. Yeah, that that's, uh, yeah, this I'm isn't, suspicious. You know, this isn't me trying to like call some buyout or something. And I don't think it would because, I mean, I think people, the more hardcore kind of scene is not just interested in these boxes. But, again, if you're, like, a casual person and you just like opening packs, you go, packs have never been cheaper. So. But maybe don't because I want to get some, too. And if y'all start getting them, then I'm going to have to pay a higher price. That's true. And, again, I've read our comments. No one agrees with us anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, most <laughs> people think we're just crazy for 
even suggesting a person buy a Yu-Gi-Oh pack. So, uh, anywho, I think booster packs aren't loot boxes. There is one other. This is a master duel update. Uh, they're releasing a new selection pack that has Pirelli, Mikonko, ninjas. No, not yet. I don't know when that's coming out. I'm sorry, I've lied to you. Every every month I tell Alec, yeah, I think ninjas are coming out this month. They never do. <laughs> it has been like three months. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there is a new selection pack. It's got Pirelli, Makonko, and some Galaxy and Photon support for some reason. So that's kind of exciting. I mean, they're always making new Galaxy cards. I feel like we can't go a year without a new Galaxy card. You really can't. I mean, it's it's Kite Tenjo, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he was a, a main rival. So that makes yeah, he's part sense. of that little trio of theirs. So, I mean, you know, I, I think that's kind of cool. I'm not planning on playing any of those three decks, so I'm not overly excited about Didn't them. did you have a Galaxy deck? I did for a while. I just found the deck kind of dull. It's it's a very fun deck, and I think thematically I, I enjoyed like the look of it. And I usually like sort of these light attribute decks for whatever reason. But uh, playing Galaxy got a little boring because I just think like it's just always kind of making rank eights and, and so rank eights, rank fours. Now Paul only plays with waifus. Well, not exactly, but more so perhaps. He didn't have a waifu. And that's what that's what made me upset. I just I left after that. So, um, yeah, if you're playing Master Duel, that could be something worth looking into. I think by the time you see this podcast, it'll actually, the selection pack should be live. So, get, pick it up, have a crack at it. I mean, I, I know that Pirelli is a pretty popular meta contender in the TCG right now. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're getting all of their cards in this new pack, though. But they're getting many, so. Are they getting the dark one? That's the good one. I think the first dark one, but not, not, the, not, not the, new the, newest, one. the newest one. Is, I think they're getting X Pirelli Noir. I don't think they're getting Epirelli Noir. I hate one. their naming sense. I have no idea what they were going for there. Yeah, I don't know what that means. Someone wants to comment and explain it, though. Feel free. I believe that's all the Yu-Gi-Oh! news. That's fair, honestly. It's been a lot. Uh, it's been a lot, but it's not the news we wanted. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like just a lot of small, neat things. However, um, transitioning then over to some to a card game that we all kind of know and love, Pokemon. Oh, Okay. Wait, I guess there's others we know and hate. Um, yeah, so Pokemon uh, first edition Charizard card may be crashing in price. Like from base set? Uh, yeah. So a pristine first edition hollow Charizard card has sold in an auction for $168,000 on the PWCC website, which can spell bad news for Pokemon card prices in general. Um, so, yeah, in the last few years, we've seen this Charizard Pokemon card jump in value from 220000 all the way to 420000 But it, it appears now that that price might be on the way back down once more. The copy was a graded Gem Mint 10 by CGC, yet could not attract the same kinds of bids we've seen in previous years. This is a first edition Shadowless Charizard from the hmm. 1999 base set. It doesn't get more rare than that. In October 2020, former rapper Logic bought a PSA 10 copy for 220 k a record that was soon smashed that November with a 295k purchase, and even that pales in comparison to the PSA 10 copy that sold for 420k in 2022. So why in 2023 has this card only sold for a comparatively low 168,000? So some people think it's just because of the grading company. Other people think it's a sign of the times. I mean, it could be the company, but at the same time. I mean, I feel like Pokemon's printing a lot of Charizards. 
Yeah, I'm like, always surprised that Charizard is able to. I mean, I know it's a pretty timeless, cool design, but, but golly, like, yeah, he, they put Charizard like crazy. There's a Charizard in the latest set, um, yeah, the black, Obsidian like Flames, the Charizard, Charizard EX. Mm-hmm. They, that, that's a, I mean, yeah, Charizard's popular, but if you keep printing it over and over again, its popularity is gonna wane, right? Blue Eyes Dark Magician. No, 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 though Konami, that will never happen. You can print as many blue right. eyes and dark magicians as you want. We aren't sick of them. We love them. Yeah, they got a couple of platinum ones if you're really willing we to need spend. New, we need new retrains. I need super blue eyes and super dark magician. And I need okay red eyes. <laughs> okay, red eyes. Yeah, so I mean, that's kind of an interesting story about the Charizard. I don't really actually have that much of an opinion on it. I just saw this headline. And I was like, okay, neat. I mean, you know. I think with trading cards in general, there's there's probably going to be a slight decline, not just the whole like okay twenty twenty boom and then like decline in later. What years. you mean like collectors' valuation of the cards? Yeah, I mean that yeah. makes sense. Like if you think about collecting and then the prices associated with that is a very emotional thing. If it's all collectors, about the feel of the time. if collectors feel that the object is not as rare or maybe it does not feel as sentimental. As they may have felt in previous years, they're not going to convert. This is, in a sense, collectors are price setting. Collectors tell you how much that card is worth to them. Mm-hmm. And if logic says it's worth two twenty to him years ago, but someone today is like, "Well, this is only like worth one hundred and sixty thousand to me," there's not a lot of recourse for that. Yeah, because how do you really, like, argue? At that point, you can't, like, really argue more or less. It's just a matter of finding someone who proves that there's a person willing to pay more. And and if, and if I'm sure they wouldn't have moved it for less than they thought they could get for it. Yeah, I think a lot of this is just, uh, it's kind of that oversaturation of Pokemon content, Pokemon cards, Charizard, Charizard cards, which isn't a bad thing, though. And I think... That's what's that's actually a very important point here. Pokemon cards becoming cheaper is not a bad thing. I mean, it's an ebb and a flow. Like they'll they'll go up, they'll go down. Like it all it takes is another kind of Logan Paul type to show up and like be into Pokemon, and then suddenly like we might be back in another boom, right? Yeah. Or it might just continue to plummet. I, it's hard for me to have. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You had. I say because these are just um, like retro collectibles. This is not actually indicative of the like, modern Pokemon game and the cards being printed. This is old stuff. Yeah, that's another reason why I have a hard time having any more of an opinion than that because it's like I'm not ever going to own one of these Charizards and I don't want to. So like, for the average people down on Earth, right? So you don't want? Okay, I was going to offer you one, but you don't want it. <laughs> so that's cool. You can give me a, a dark terrestrialized Charizard. I'll just take that. So oh, Paul's been studying his Pokemon sets. I didn't know you knew he was dark. Well, more like I just know Pokemon, like in general. Speaking of Pokemon in general, guess what we watched today? What did we watch today? We watched the um, oh yeah the Pokemon Paldean Winds. That's right. That's that new Pokemon short episode one about the main character that had a flute. Yeah. So no spoilers. This is a new um, Pokemon series, like one of their mini series that they tend to do for each generation. Yeah, um, they're always what was so well animated. Galler? How dare you ask me that question? You knew I wouldn't be able to answer it, and you asked anyway. God knows I can't answer. I never way, know the names. Of these I remember things. like things like Pokemon Origins and Pokemon Generations and all that. So it's just these mini series that they make. Um, I won't like spoil the 
premise for this. But high production value. Yeah, very high production value. Some characters show up from like the Scarlet and Violet games. It seems like, I don't know how often they're going to be releasing new episodes. It might be like every other week or... I have no idea. Couldn't tell Something, you. I think that's how they it might be weekly. It. I feel like the last one might have been weekly. Yeah, and so I think that they're really cool. And anime, like you said, animation quality, great. Um, Top tier. Yeah, good. the dub was very good. Good voice actors. I saw some of the voice actors on Twitter, actually, who were like really proud of their work. And they were just saying, I'm glad you guys finally get to see this. It was so fun, you know, voicing Demona or voicing Arlen or... Spoilers, it was but. so much fun voicing Fue Coco. Yeah. Um, it is interesting, though, that these Pokemon short, like, miniseries, I guess, understandably get a much higher budget than, like, their regularly running anime. Mm-hmm. Because the new anime, Pokemon Horizons, it's not out, like, dubbed yet, but I've been watching the Japanese one. I don't know what he's talking about. And um, it's been nice, but like, it definitely doesn't have, like, the production value that, um, like, these like, kind of shorts get, so... Well, I mean, you. I mean, you. Yeah, Pokemon like TV shows have to run for like fifty something episodes. Like, can you imagine if they were trying to pump in the the same it's quality like we saw animation or into every single one of those episodes? Where Ash up, oh, Ash isn't in, in anymore. Yeah, Main characters yeah. go on their fifty episode journey. The animators' hands are gonna fall off. Yeah. So it did make me think, though, that Yu Gi Oh deserves this sort of treatment. I think. I, I that, agree. Yeah. You, the, uh, what did I bring up? Because I was showing Paul the, uh, oh, the uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! OCG structures manga that I know nothing about, though I read it every time it updates. Um, if you haven't heard about it, that's because it's actually not released in the West in any uh, legal form. But um, in the OCG structures manga, they it's characters from some Yu-Gi-Oh! video game that also didn't come to the West that I know nothing about. And... They are experiencing Yu-Gi-Oh! in a way that's much closer to how we experience Yu-Gi-Oh! If I remember correctly, the first chapter starts with them drafting a set. And so the main character's deck is kind of this amalgamation of archetypes and strategies that we've actually played. Mm-hmm. And then the duels that they have are have, the, have very normal stakes. Like, they'll be playing in tournament to uh, try to get to Worlds. I remember yeah. that was one of the premises for the games. And the duelists, they just they changed their decks in much the same way that we do. One guy was playing Thunder Dragons, and the next thing you know, he's playing Eldritch in a different chapter. And the matchups that you see in the OCG Structures manga are so unique, but they're so Yu-Gi-Oh. I remember, what did I tell you about? Starry Night versus... Um, uh, Lunalite or something? Uh, Lyrilusk Tri-Brigade. Yeah. So imagine that, right? Like a manga where people are actually dueling with ar- like archetypes and matchups and stuff that you could expect to see. There was Amazement versus Time Thief too. Yeah, like that sounds really fun. And I think that could be that could make for a great like kind of just spin-off little mini series anime. Mm-hmm. Just or, 10 minute episodes. Yeah, 10 minute episodes, maybe you get like 6 or 8 of them and it just kind of comes out every other week. Also, um you could do the idea that everybody kind of wants the archetype lore stories. Like telling the Elbaz oh, yeah. lore, or telling the world legacy lore. Did you know little bits? The uh, Sky Striker manga is still running. I didn't. There are. I think it's on like chapter nineteen now, or something like that. It's actually much longer than I thought it was going to be. And Paul, they're going to make a lot more Sky Striker cards. There's actually plenty of characters in it. It makes me think that you know you guys are really missing out on this sort of thing because these uh, little Pokemon shorts. 
you know, not every single person is going to watch them, but they're on YouTube. They're free to consume. And like, they're well made. And they just, I think that they help to kind of give you another wave of Pokemon interest, another mm. wave of like promotion for the new games. Uh, and they don't, they're not even nostalgia pandering. Like in this, they're using new Pokemon. And they're in stuff. the same setting of the current games, uh, Scarlet and Violet. So I think we've said this in videos before, but like it would be really cool if there was like maybe the world legacy lore or the Albaz lore being kind of, you know, serialized in this way each month or something as new sets come out or whatever. I mean, even Magic the Gathering, they do set trailers. Oh yeah, I did see one like of the those. coolest thing to me. So with like Wilds of Eldraine or whatever, uh, there's like a set trailer for it. But you kinda... we used to have that. Remember those old those old uh commercials where the kid would be like who did he in a dark castle and he's like I summon and it's like black skull dragon or something in I the mean, we, yeah at least we had that at some point but like I think with the magic ones they are like they set the story like of what's kind of going on in the set and but, I just think like but there's no story in our sets but that's the thing there is and I don't like that they don't um that they don't really kind of try to sell it and explore it. I. Uh, it is interesting that they they did this whole like Visa's story, that's actually plagued our metagame for so long. But that's about it. Yeah, I, I think that what they need to do is, if you show kind of the Albaz lore as it's playing out or the Visa's lore as it's playing out, it would I think better like it would more invest people in the decks that they're playing and build interest and hype for the cards. And now I think it also could like kind of give it more attachment to what we're playing. Mm-hmm. Like I think with Yu-Gi-Oh right now, it's very easy to find yourself kind of just, you get cynical and jaded because you just see the cards for what they do. Right. Yeah. I hate Kestera Fenrir. It's always banishing my stuff or a rise heart, lock me out of the game or tears so broken. But I mean, I think that if you could kind of see these stories as they played out, see the cards in context, yeah, see the cards in context. Sure. They're still the same annoying cards. Like if you're at the table playing, but you might have favorites and you might feel more attached to them and you might, you know, want to buy more cards or open more packs or like it could be a way to kind of motivate alternate arts and stuff like that. Like, I mean, I know I didn't have any real connection to the World Legacy series of archetypes until after I'd read and learned the World Legacy story. And at that point, I was like, oh, man, I didn't appreciate these cards at all when they were coming back. And it can be really hard because like Konami, they make lore books. But we don't get to see them in the United States. Like, no, nope, those are in Japan. Like, they have these Japanese lore books, and they just, I guess they don't feel like people would buy them, or... And they probably wouldn't. And, like, maybe they wouldn't, but I mean, in that on, case, books. Like, it could be, like, PDFs, like or, or just, like, images. Share it on social media, something. They now post concept art. Yeah, we get these weird concept arts, which... What do you think hey, of those? in the notations of them, they even include some bits about the characters. I like them. I do like them. Uh, even if they don't credit the artists, but you know, I think those are. What do you a mean step the, the right artist direction. is Konami? Oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah, it's a step in the right direction. I just think that now, to be fair, I understand that like it's not. It's easier said than done. You can't just like snap your fingers and make good animation as nice as it would be. But hire Mappa. They stay busy. Yeah, as Konami, like definitely think about it. Right, like this is the type of thing that can build interest around Yu Gi Oh as a pop culture thing. More so than just us all arguing in our little circle of, you know, well, what a cards ne- to be A niche game played by dungeon dwellers. Yeah. Because right now that's what you go know, is. Uh, you don't have to like it, but it's true. We're all just sitting here arguing in the dungeons about 
Vanguard or bad products or formats or something. So 24 seven. Uh, anywho. Yeah. So check out Pokemon Paldean wins. It's a cool time. Um, I think it's nice. Any other stories? I'm pulling up mine right now. I've, I've got to close the app. Oh, okay. So I do have an update on um, that Magicon, the- not Magicon, um, Gen Con theft situation. Okay. You've been following this, huh? I mean, if I, if I see something, I say something. So they've actually identified the two guys that, um, that stole the $300,000 worth of product. Mm-hmm. Andrew Guillaume and Thomas Dunbar officially charged with a class five felony for alleged involvement in a theft by Indianapolis police. Hmm. It says during the course of the investigation, the stolen merchandise was located and recovered as evidence. The filing of charges today ensures that there are criminal consequences for this conduct. That is a quote from prosecutor Ryan Mears. Yeah, good. Don't, don't steal cards. The, uh, think that they have some more information about how they did it let's see i heard it really was that they like i think took a pallet and pretended to be like i don't know if we talked about this but they pretended to be like uh, employees, like employees or, or like volunteers or yeah which shockingly you can kind of get away with i guess at these events because like if you just look like your security or you look like you're kind of just official and you're pushing a pallet along you can get through Otherwise, like, locked off doors and hallways without, you know. Like, that's insane that someone really tried to pull that. But from what I'm looking at this article, pretty much the entire thing, even more so than we saw when this got posted, all of this got recorded. Those guys were on camera. Uh, They were wearing identifying clothing, and they drove away in a vehicle with its license plate showing. So they were guaranteed to get caught. Yeah, well, I'm glad they did. I mean, not much to say about it other than just don't do that. Don't don't steal products. Don't steal anything. I mean, or at least don't get caught. Come on, man. Or that. Um, anything else with it? That's it. I, I mean, that's gonna pretty much be the end of the story unless they somehow go to court over it and win. All right. Well, here's something exciting. Marvel Snap becomes top-grossing digital trading card game. Beating Yu-Gi-Oh! and Magic the Gathering Arena. Mm. So Marvel Snap, an online collectible card game starring fan-favorite superheroes, has reached the $100 million mark, making it the top-grossing digital card game of the year so far by a wide margin, surpassing two Yu-Gi-Oh! digital games, Magic the Gathering Arena, and Hearthstone. I'm actually really surprised by that. Yeah, the game's been downloaded 22 million times since its October release, including 7.4 million installs in its first month um since then it's earned 100.89 million in revenue and far outpaces the earnings of its biggest competitors master duel and duel links with a combined 52 55.2 million in earnings magic the gathering arena with 19.6 and hearthstone with 18.6 there is something to be said about that accomplishment i know a lot of you guys have probably played marvel snap and but some of you probably haven't so i can just say um of the mobile games that I've played, of which I've played many, I have 11 on my phone right now. Um, Marvel Snap felt like the game that wanted my money the least. In For con- for context, Marvel Snap, uh, the, you don't have to pay for cards. Just by playing the game, you will unlock 
every single card in that game, the only thing holding you back is how much time that you put into play, but you will get those cards. And so if you're not buying cards, what are you spending money on? Well, in Marvel Snap, it's pretty much cosmetics. Like, I think there's a way to slightly increase the rate at which you get cards, but it's not huge. And most of what I saw was like reskins of cards. You could just get like mm-hmm. more holographic looking ones or different uh, costumes for the characters. And it's like, that's actually really impressive compared to, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic. And I'm not too, too sure about Hearthstone, but I'm assuming these are all card games where you're spe- if you spend money, it's to get cards. Yeah. I mean, I will say something in, in the defense of Master Duel. I know Duel Links is kind of a different story. But um, in defense of Master Duel, at least, um, it's not very, like, it's really not, like, pay to win. Uh, you know, like, you can just play each day and get more than enough gems to, like, build a new deck every couple of weeks. So, at least it's not as bad as, like, some other microtransaction-heavy games I've heard. But still, it sounds like Marvel Snap, it's almost purely aesthetics, unless... Yeah, I understand it. I don't know if anything's changed since I last played Marvel Snap. For context on that, too, I did drop Marvel Snap only because... Or what I think is they didn't have enough ways for me to spend money to get what I wanted, so I dropped it. Yeah. So, you know, if uh, you guys can maybe inform us if there is something that we don't know about that, maybe the game actually does... Let you just straight up buy cards or something. I don't know. Um, let us know. But it, that's a really big accomplishment. You're right. I mean, to far outpace, you know, Master Duel and Duel Links combined, pretty big deal. It's, I mean, especially in Duel Links, I mean, I, I remember dropping plenty of money in that game to build decks. Because certain decks you will struggle to build trying to be free to play. Master Duel, I think, is a lot easier. You have a crafting system, but Duel Links does not have that. The United States is Marvel Snap's biggest market, followed by South Korea, Japan, France, and Canada, according to App Magic. So, and that's actually that's really interesting. The mobile game market in the United States is not as big as it is in like other in like different Asian countries. And most I would say, yeah, most mobile games I think don't have such a large presence here in the States. Versus, like, Asian competition. I mean, I guess if there was ever going to be a game that could, it would be Marvel. Or I mean, it is Marvel. Thing, right? It's like, it feels like it's the first time, and I could be wrong, but it feels like it's the first time um, a modern mobile game has taken hold on the U.S. audience to that degree. The last time I could think of that is, like, Pokemon, Pokemon Go. Go. It was bigger, actually. I mean, Pokemon Go was bigger, yeah, but, Go like... Was, that that was, like, an actual cultural... I mean, like, that... The, F, the Pokemon Go, t- I didn't even really think about it because I I kind of considered an ex- an exception. Yeah, like, I mean, it, it felt like it's... It's definitely, like, one of those flash-in-a-bottle things. Like, I don't think that... I saw a meme, and I totally agree with it. Uh, we will never be more united as a people than, than when Pokemon Go, like, first came out. Yeah, we won't. Like, I, I, I think mean, we've only gone downhill, and it'll never get back to that. Like Niantic, that's the company that makes Pokemon Go. They've been they've retried they've tried to like retread that formula a few times. Nothing works. Um, I mean, it took the Pokemon name. I think Pokemon has launched many projects that haven't had the sheer flood of support that Pokemon Go got from from the uh, consumers. Yep, like that was truly like special. 
Yeah, and then of course there's like Magic Arena and Hearthstone, which seem to be doing pretty well in their own right. But yeah, it sounds like this Ma- this Marvel Snap. It's it's pretty good. I mean, I know Trell plays it a lot. He is in his free time. Um, so and Marvel Snap is a deceptively difficult game. It uh, difficult. Yeah, when you when you play out early into Marvel Snap, it just puts you against bots and the other like low ranked players. So. You feel that you're better that you feel you feel really good at the game early in mm-hmm. because it's a mix of bad players and bots, but at, but at some point it takes you out of that bot pool. There'll still be bots, but there won't be as many. And when you do end up against a, play, a person, this person also thinks they're pretty good at the game, and before you know it, you're having these intense strategic battles. Where, like, you and the person who understands the card pool better will win. Yeah. And it, it, that, that's, it it's be, not an easy game. There's more to it. Okay. That meets the eye. Didn't know. I mean, I only kind of knew the basics of, like, the snap system to kind mm-hmm. of up the stakes, which I thought was a very unique thing that you can only really do in, like, a mobile game, it feels like. But Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you, I mean, because that's a very poker-esque mechanic. And I think that would cause issues in a uh, TCG. Well, speaking of mobile games, I did forget uh, one bit of Yu-Gi-Oh news was that Cross Duel was sunset uh, earlier this week. It wasn't already shut down? It was supposed to be shutting down on September the 4th was the last day. So they had announced the shutdown like back in spring or something. But um, yeah, so September 4th or I guess morning of the 5th, people were logging in. And seeing that, uh, yeah, like a goodbye message, they made a little social media thing, like, thanks for playing, we hope you all enjoy, that's the end of Cross Duel. It's a shame. I hate seeing Yu-Gi-Oh! things uh, disappear. Me too. But. What went wrong? I don't know if they really had an idea of who Cross Duel was for. Mm-hmm. Um. It's seeming seemingly Cross Duel's mark target market were Yu-Gi-Oh players, but Yu-Gi-Oh players already had plenty on their plate. If you you had Master Duel, Duel Links, and the physical game, where did you have time for Cross Duel? I mean, I heard three different major issues that constantly kind of came to mind for me, or, or that I was reminded of. The first was. Um, that it isn't Yu-Gi-Oh really like so to the average Yu-Gi-Oh player they saw it and they just it wasn't at all what they expected mm-hmm. and you know for a lot of us who play Yu-Gi-Oh and like we're really addicted and we like you know like we like what Yu-Gi-Oh is I think people thought Cross Duel was just gonna be like a four-player duel thing like right. a battle royale but still regular Yu-Gi-Oh I mean, that's what I thought way. it was gonna be early into its announcement right I mean the logo kind of suggested that and like the, the those teaser kind of like phrases I guess you call them little teaser things, like a new way to duel and like four player or whatever. So it wasn't that. And so it's not, it's therefore not really very appealing to your traditional Yu-Gi-Oh player while also maybe not being exciting enough to an outsider. Mm -hmm. Despite having great graphics and like presentation and dubbing and all that. Yeah, solid UI. It doesn't change the fact that, you know, like people just weren't getting what they wanted. Second big issue that always showed up to me was just like the marketing always seemed a bit weird. I know that they they made a commercial. I saw it was like a three minute long trailer or something. It was kind oh, of oh, I remember that. 
Yeah, kind of an awkward trailer and um it I would see them do kind of like these collaborative streams with content creators that I guess I had never heard of. No offense to them. I just they're, they're always very niche creators or like maybe they're in other countries that I just I'm ignorant. But it didn't seem right like here first, folks. There All was, is ignorant. Well, I get told that in the comments every day. Um but yeah, so I mean I I guess I just got I, I, just, I feel like no one would really know what it is or like see it. And I think there's a person out there that Crosstool is probably for, but without like really great marketing initiatives, they just might not yeah, find it. Might just fall flat. You know what I would like to see out of a Yu-Gi-Oh mobile game, even though we have plenty of games right now? Yeah. Dungeon Dice Monsters. Everyone said that when Crosstool went. People were like, Yeah, introduce Dungeon Dice Monsters. And I have two theories as to why that maybe doesn't happen. The first is that could very well be like a licensing thing. There could be some like where there's like something with the it's, anime. A, it's an older product and it's a product that actually got made and I don't know how how that would how work. that went. And then of course there's the fact that it would be even more niche than Yu-Gi-Oh is, so that's always going to be a tough. Hey, but mobile games have found ways to grow like well beyond their niches at times. Yeah, that's always going to be like a tough sell. Um but and I think the third big thing with Crossdual was just that, like, they said it was microtransaction heavy. Oh, man. They said it was pretty harsh. I, I oh. don't know. I did not play enough of it to really. I I spent some money on Crossdual. Did you? I did. I did. Because I wanted to play an Odd Eyes deck. And for the absolute life of me, I couldn't pull it. Paul, I couldn't pull Odd Eyes. And you know how much I'm willing, willing to spend in mobile games. I couldn't I couldn't get it. And there's no reek, there's nothing you can do if you can't pull a card. Yeah. I, I heard that the microtransactions were rough. And it's kind of strange because I mean Duel Link's already got a bit of a reputation for being pretty harsh on the like microtransactions. So to hear then that like this, this something was worse while also being a less appealing game. Which I guess kind of brings me to maybe that uh, the extra point about Cross Duel's failure. It had like Master Duel and Duel Links to compete with, and it's just it's a lot of like Yu Gi Oh new digital way of playing Yu Gi Oh like on the market at the same time. It's going to be rough. Like Master Duel came yeah. out earlier that year, and it's clearly kind of the superior Yu Gi Oh TCG playing experience. So like I don't know that there was an, ever going to really be enough room for Cross Duel to. I mean, I don't know if they, like I said before, I just don't know if they knew what market they should have been targeting. Mm-hmm. Like maybe Cross Duel would have done better if it had a more limited regional launch somewhere else. Yeah. Actually, now I think about it, um, I think it did start off in different regions before it came yeah, to the Yeah, I think they had like some early betas. But maybe it should have stayed that way. Maybe it should, they shouldn't have um, widened, the, widened the net because by going global... You know, it's more expensive, which means the profit that, you know, they have certain profit targets they have to hit. Otherwise, you know, they start talking about, you know, sunsetting the project. But had had Crossdual just maybe stayed in Japan or just somewhere else. And then the few like the the few North American players, because seemingly there weren't many who really cared, could then go find the APK files, assuming you run Android. I don't know what you do on iPhone. And you can play it. You can just steal your copy and play. But that might have uh, been fine. Speaking of that, I do know that Crossdoor has a great... Well, not uh, sort of. 
Um, uh, Crawl still had some really great assets. And so it seems like there have been a lot of people. I saw the Crown Court people tweeting about it. And like I know other people kind of in that modding, model asset resource community have like, you know, pulled a lot of the like monster files from the game. And so it makes me wonder if maybe Konami, since they sunset this game so quickly, maybe they can put those assets to use in a future game. Because like the one cool part about Cross Duel to me was that every single monster in the game had a 3D model. Yep. So obviously the card pool was like maybe a lot more limited, but that's still a lot of 3D models that can be used for like potential future Yu-Gi-Oh products. So maybe they can make a game with those models of those monsters. And if so, there's something there, right? You know, I think I saw a video online of a um, Trickstar and Lily Bell skateboarding. Hmm. And I think they might have been using cross-dual assets for that. Highly possible. Highly possible. Like, I think that that's the shame that a lot went into that game and that it kind of maybe, I guess, wasn't able to be profitable. But hopefully they can learn something from it and still put a lot of that to use in the future. Because uh, And anyone cheering for uh, cross-dual's demise, just remember this. Anytime anything Yu-Gi-Oh! fails means they're going to not try as hard next time. Yeah. Cause and yeah, that's, that's a great kind of, I mean, this is capitalism folks. Yeah. If stuff doesn't like do well. You won't like, I've seen a lot of people like kind of cheering on his demise. I saw somebody say good riddance, like this, you know, money hungry, like pay to win game. But in the next day, you do dungeon dice monsters. That's what they should have done instead. You realize though, that's like when, when companies see something fail, not saying it's like a good or bad thing, but when they see something fail like this, all it means is they're just going to either double down on what's known to be profitable. Dark Magician and Blue Eyes. Dark Magician and Blue Eyes, more Master Duel, more Duel Links transactions, and they won't take risks. Because they, they see, okay, these risks don't work. We're going to pull it back and just go with the boring, tried and true, you know. Because like cross-duel failing is a sign of the Yu-Gi-Oh! community. The market for Yu-Gi-Oh! is not as active. It's not as strong. Like We don't have money. <laughs> we have money. We just either spend it all on cards. We don't. Or we just choose not to spend it on Yu-Gi-Oh products. So they're less likely to make dungeon dice monsters because we didn't like Cross Duel, and they yeah. they can't be sure we like that either. Yeah, it's a rough niche to be in. So I do think that um, we shouldn't cheer on the demise of any of these games. So, but I'm still Max. I spent mad money in Cross Duel and could not get an odd eyes. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, rip Cross Duel. That's all for my stories, though. Nice. I think I had one thing that actually I kind of I meant to mention it earlier. Okay. Um, Speed Duel tournament, uh, tournament pack six, uh, was announced. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I just gonna mention that during my Speed Duel. I rant. forgot. I, I I just completely forgot, and I saw it. And I was like, oh, that was something. You good? This the Speed Duel tournament packs are really cool because it's another chance for cards to get rarity bumps and reprints that they haven't seen in a long time. What's in that? So we have Goblin Zombie, DD Survivor, Banisher of Radiance, Dark Gaia, the evil hero. What rarities are these, by the way? I can't tell. It's a database. I don't know how you know. Oh, they uh. Did they, they put them in there? I don't. I don't know where to look. Oh, you're viewing as gallery. I think if you view it as a list, it will Did you get it. Okay, they don't have the rarities on there. No. Yeah, they don't have the rarities, so, which is, I know that's a big part of. Uh, oh yeah, because knowing what the reprints are. TS packs. But um, probably the first few cards listed are probably the ones that have the high rarities or something. I'd assume so because it's Goblin, Zombie, DD Survivor, Banisher, Radiance, uh, Evil Hero, Dark Gaia, 
Undending Nightmare, Sub- Submarine Roid, Evil Hero, Infernal Prodigy, Totem Dragon, Blaze Man, and if I had, and I'm guessing then it's Dark Summoning Beast and Nova Master. Those are probably the ultra rares. I'm trying to see if I can find. Oh, I saw. I'm seeing some. Just doing a quick little search. Um, some awesome. people just talking about it online. Um, they don't know the database didn't help me out. Ultra rare Goblin Zombie and Evil Hero Dark Gaia for sure. So. Mm. There's a few cool cards. Dark Gaia. It was a secret. It was like a common, I think, in one of the earlier was it a GX like sealed draft things. Oh, okay. Because I have secret goblin in, zombies. Because the thing that they've been doing in uh, speed duel is pretty much everything kind of comes common in those boxes, and then they'll mm-hmm. like have it be potentially secret. But I think that these allow for ultra and stuff like those other rarities to be in speed duel, and they still get that good speed duel printing quality. Real shame that the Speed Duel OTS packs seem so difficult to come by because not many locals that do Speed Duel. That's it's not the nerd. ultimate problem. I mean, I don't know how big Speed Duel locals are. Let us know. Do you have an area? Like, and if you're listening, do you have an area uh, that's got like a thriving or at least partial like you know, existence? If you do have game? one, Paul says that he will fly out all of Team APS to play at your Speed Duel locals. Sure will. You heard it, y'all. He's locked in now. He right said it. For reverse, yeah. Um, so, but yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I remember some of the early Speed Duel OTS packs when they were doing like uh, Relinquished, I think, as a like an ultra rare, maybe or something. Like that was like what, early Speed Duel days. I remember. I remember some early Speed Duel tournament packs. I remember when we all wanted um, Sphere Karibo. I remember that that was a hard to pull card because that was back when they had booster packs for speed duels, yeah. and thank you once again to uh, Konami. Y'all don't get enough thanks for uh, foregoing booster packs and yeah, speed duels because um, it just wasn't a good way to do it. <laughs> you were re-releasing actually old cards that like no one would have interest in, but doing them in the draft boxes is infinitely better. It's like it did not feel good to. Um, to pull speed dual booster packs, it I I've never I had never experienced that when I came to opening booster packs before. When regardless of what you pulled, it didn't feel very good because they were cards you already had. And it was funny because like some of the hardest things to pull were things like Twister and Dust Tornado. Yeah, you're just you trying to, to try get a to Twister, get, like, your speed dual copy of it so you could use it. But they made it an ultra rare. And it... I remember ripping open a box trying to get Sphere Karibo, didn't get it, and I was just like, Yeah, why I having to order it on TCG Player for like. Twelve dollars. I'm just like, what am I doing with my life? Right. Like, Why am I fighting for a sphere, yeah, Karibo? Karibo. <laughs> ordering this freaking card. Yeah. Yeah, I think the for speed duels, maybe more so. I mean, you could maybe try it out with other um, parts of the game, but the box sets for speed duels were a godsend. Yeah, they really were. I guess that means it's time for us to reach into the pot of greed. Ooh. And answer some of your questions. I'll go first for a change. Go for it. Okay, I just realized we have a problem. What? I think we ran out of questions. No there's way. only one card in here. What? Yeah, there's only one card left. Let me see. Yeah, there's one. Al- Alec is normally the guy who uh, oh. who fills the pot. So uh Okay. Uh it's all right. This though. is still yours. It's all yeah, I'll I'll take this question. It's alright though, because I asked people to um, give us some prompts or stories on the community tab right before we filmed. So don't worry. I've, I've got us covered. Yay. Um, but first, we will answer this final card that's left in the pot. And then we'll refill next week. Right, Alec? 
I will. I you know what? I should have noticed I had cards sitting here. How would you change Yu-Gi-Oh rarities? How would I change them? Or either of us, I guess. So I would want to bring back ghost rares. Well, they exist still. Not, well, no, maybe not ghost rares. What I would bring back are the way we used to do ulti printings. We've been doing uh, Slifer Slackers, and one part of Slifer Slackers I've really enjoyed is we get ultimate rare cards. And they're often horrible cards, but there's something kind of funny. You'll get, like a, you'll get this rare. And then you'll pull its ulti version, and it's still a bad card, but it looks nice. Do you think they should bring back that uh, mm -hmm. kind of mixed rarity? Um, same. I think that the whole, like, rare and ulti split, I can't put my finger on it, but there's something about that time period in Yu-Gi-Oh that is just, like, undefeated to me. It's so cool, because I remember specific, like, trap cards that I had and stuff, um... And they'd, they'd be, like, rares. Like, I think one of the ones I remember was, like, for some reason, the Transmigration Prophecy. Woo! Is this random old trap. Um, it's kind of a good card, though, that, like, shuffles two cards from the graveyard into the deck. It could be a really good disruption. And, like, it came rare, and then it came ulti. And something about having the ulti copies of some of these staple cards, Karma Cut and Divine Wrath. Oh, just, we, we ain't pulling those. You know, those were so cool. And I know I've been hearing a lot more people say that, like, that they that, that could help with the value issue in packs. Maybe because like you could pull a rare pot of prosperity, let's say like it's a rare or a super. They would never print that rare. But then you could also have it as an ulti, and that would be the one that costs like sixty or eighty dollars, and then like the rare one would be like five. That I, I mm. listen. Would that actually happen exactly that way? I don't know. I don't know if Konami would choose to do it that way, but I do think that it could be cool because it makes staples easy to get, but like. It's kind of that whole easy to play, hard to master thing. Right. But for packs, it's like easy to get. But if you want to, you know, bling out the deck, then you can get the ultimate rare copies of your Miracle Fusions. But also, little Jimmy can just pull a rare Miracle Fusion and it's still functionally the same. Oh, ulti Miracle Fusion. Now, that's, that's a card. Beautiful. That is a card. That said, uh, if I was to make any other change to rarities, I think I would just... Uh, this might be a hot take, although I've heard more people saying oh, here it online. comes, y'all. Cut out the super in every pack thing. Whoa. I don't really like it. And now, I, I'm going to be, full disclosure, I'm, I don't have a great reason for why I don't like it. I just don't like it for some reason. So there's no logic to this. There's it's no just... logic whatsoever. <laughs> it's just my personal bias bullshit. I, I think, like, having supers in every pack, it, it just... I know they're trying to, I think, more closely resemble other card games like Pokemon and stuff where you'll always get like the reverse foil or like the uncommon or whatever. You'll have like a little, like there's a little bit of foil. I don't know pack. how Pokemon works. Okay, well, most other card games, I think in each pack, you get some something with a bit of foil on it. Yeah, we got rares. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I, I liked rares. Like, I think bring those back in favor. Like, like I don't know. I just, that, anyway, so that answers the question. I think I would do the split where like things can come one rarity and then also another okay that would be my i agree with you there okay well here's some stuff from the community tab not about Yu-Gi-Oh news but a genuine question for you guys That's as well nice. as anyone who reads this is there a card or archetype that resonates with you personally regardless of how good or bad it actually is like the archetype that stands out to me is light Sword because it also has because it has a card named michael um because i guess this person's name is michael but the card Genesis Dragon is one of my favorites since I got it as a gift from my brother. 
So this is really just like um, a roundabout way of asking our favorite card and archetype. Well, the one doesn't mean a lot. Like, it means something personal to you. Like, do you have a card that was given to you or, you know? But the, it's always the same answer. Ancient Gear Golem. Well, but he might not have known that. I've given that answer so many times, everybody knows. Well, let's, let's hear it. Ancient Gear Golem. Yeah, like, what's the story? <sighs> so picture this. It's August 2005. Okay, the shortened story. Fine. So I'm from a I'm from a city that got hit by a major hurricane in that time period, and I was forced to evacuate. And I saw uh, packs of the ancient millennium, or lost the lost millennium, right? Not ancient millennium. That's the other set. I saw packs of the lost millennium, and I saw ancient gear golem on the cover, and that was the coolest thing in the world from to me. And it helped distract me from the fact that, uh, well, there was a major hurricane bearing down on my home. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I was displaced and I couldn't even get home. So Ancient Gear Golem actually has a very special place in my heart because, uh, you know, it was kind of like the distraction I needed. I, pu- I kept pulling packs. I couldn't get it. But I had, when I got my first job and I got my uh, first paycheck, I used that money to get an ultimate rare Ancient Gear Golem. Yeah. Okay. I think mine would probably be... Um the dark counterpart cards, like Dark Lord Zerato and all of them, I remember that being my first time wanting to like build a kind of expensive, at least for a kid at the time, meta deck. And um, I remember I used my mom's credit card on eBay to like buy like a Dark Lord Zerato that was like forty or sixty bucks. <laughs> I was pissed. I got in a lot of trouble for it, but it did kind of start me out on that journey into that deck. I, I I always told myself, okay, well, I better get like the most out of this deck, so. Um, I don't know if that's like a sentimental story per se. I imagine there's many a Yu-Gi-Oh player whose career started with stealing their mom's credit card. So that was always a, that was a fun one for me. Um, let's see. Somebody was saying, if you had to pick from Gemini, Union, or Spirits to make better, which one would you pick and why? These are, of course, the three kind of failed Yu-Gi-Oh mechanics. So I'm gonna Spirits. Say. Spirits, okay. Light work. Uh, Legacy of Darkness, Yamada Dragon. That's my reasoning. I do think spirits have, like, the coolest just concept to them. Like, I love their name. They're like Yamata Dragon. I love saying Hinokagasuji. This is the coolest sounding name. And we got the first band monster. Yeah. So, I mean, how would you improve them? Oh, how would I improve them? Mm-hmm. Uh, man, there's so many things wrong with the archetype. Um, What well, with the typing? So I mean, they made Shino birds and like they have the Aratama and Nikki. But Shino birds aren't actually spirits; they just work with spirits. They work with them, okay? Yeah, it is. A, it's funny that way. I mean, the major issue with the typing of spirits is unless you have extra cards, like those um, I forgot what they're called, like the machines and whatnot. Your spirits will leave the field mm-hmm. at the end of your turn. So I would like spirit monsters to either stay on the field, which kind of defeats the purpose. So better than that. When they leave the field, they take something with them. Oh, they, like, like take away one of your opponent's bears. cards or they g- give you another card. Something so it doesn't feel so bad when you make progress on your turn and then your progress bounces back to your hand. I think that something also really cool would be with spirits. Um, they don't leave until your opponent's in phase. Oh, so they stay for the full so turn. they stay for like a full kind of your turn, your opponent's turn, something like that. Oh, even, or maybe, I mean, not even better, but a compromise, quick effect, special summons on your opponent's turn. 
Uh-oh, now we're getting into modern Yu-Gi-Oh. Well, we want to make them better, right? True. Yeah, I mean, I think that could be just a cool thing, too. So that's how I would improve spirits. Now, as for my answer, which one I would try to improve, I remember always kind of having a personal thing with, like, Gemini monsters. I always thought the concept was neat, but just that they never really executed on it at all. Mm-hmm. Well, they always made it awkward. Like, having to do an entire extra summon is just... It's asking for a lot. I always a thought headache. that this is a small improvement. I don't think it completely fixes the problem by any means. But I think the Gemini summon should not count as your normal summon for the turn. So I think that I totally understand, like, maybe needing to wait a turn. You know, that sucks. But at least when you Gemini summon the monster in the next turn, it should not also consume your normal summon. But then what is a Gemini summon then? I don't know. Well, somebody's trying to make them good. Or help. I don't know. Yeah, I, uh... I mean, then, like, you just have to do the usual thing. Those effects need to be busted. Like, if you're going to keep yeah, it... Yeah, don't make them red-eyes, Geminis. As, yeah. You're going to keep it as slow and awkward as it is, then, like, the effects just need to be overpowered to compensate. Like, it is just not worth it to Gemini summon a single damn monster in this game, and that's just the hard truth of it. So, make them busted. Make them... I mean, it's just crazy to me that, like, Kashdera Fenrir, right? Can exist as twenty four hundred attack. Can it does the job itself. of three cards in one. Yeah, it, it like literally can solo decks on its own. And like, meanwhile, they're asking me to like freaking normal summon Doom Shaman. This level six, like, <laughs> so yeah. I mean, I think like making it faster to resummon them, or really more importantly, just giving them stronger effects. Right, like that's that's what it really comes. So down maybe to. you get a retrain of Doom Shaman, same level, but now it can summon two fiends. I, I think it needs to be able to like quick effect summon them. Hey, that's fine. That, that could be, you know, hey, you man, quick effect yeah. summon a fiend in my turn, summon one in your turn. Like Sprite Elf gets to exist and stuff, so why can't I summon them really fast? Yeah, Sprite Elf, we hate you. Okay, last question. What you got? Is um kind of a general one. What are your predictions for Yu-Gi-Oh! in 2024 in terms of products? Good products, good decisions from Konami, or are you pessimistic? I hope for the best. Yeah, I mean, like, it'd be easy for me to sit up here and say that it'll just get worse or something. Well, it can't get worse because the two-player star deck is in 2024 now. That is true. So we start on a high note. I think the best I can say is that uh, Konami is aware, I think, of everything that people are talking about right now. All of the, you know, dissatisfaction with these products and, like, formats, they are aware I know that just from the, like, small amounts of interaction I've been able to have with, like, Konami employees or whatever. Allegedly. Yeah, you know, they are, they're aware of this stuff. They're always, you know, they're listening, they're watching, they're looking for feedback. But also, it's hard to change stuff in Yu-Gi-Oh! Like, change will come slowly. So, something that, like, a lot of people are saying is, like, oh, these products that have been, like, trashed this year or whatever, you know, allegedly. Well, next year, Konami's going to have to make better products. But, like, here's the uh, not-so-fun news about that. All of 2024's products have already been, like, finalized. Yeah, like, that's That's how, true. like, these companies work. Like, 2024's products have been finalized. Honestly, probably even into 2025, a lot of that stuff has what? been. Because Age of Overlord is, that's all been leaked in the OCG, but they've probably, at least in Japan, they've probably already worked on the next three sets. Yeah, so, I mean, like, the TCG, like, obviously it has a few different products from the OCG and stuff, but how they choose to even do, like, rarity distributions and how many cards come in a pack and, like, how much stuff costs, that's all kind of been decided already, I would assume. So 
I would not expect things to drastically improve next year. Unless a year and a half ago, someone was like, hey, between the release of yeah. do, uh, Cyberstorm Access or whatever, an Age of Overlord, we're going to make this change, and then we'll see it. Yeah, so um, I think I would just be like, temper your expectations, right? Like, don't expect, like, the world from Konami, but do know that I, I do believe they are going to try their best within the constraints that they, like, can, so... I expect that Rush Duels will come to Duel Links. Well, I mean, we know that, right? Actually, it's happening this year. It's not next year. I I will say one other last thing about the comment. They were sort of saying, like, you know, are you expecting good products, good decisions? Uh, decisions are subjective. So, you know, I know, like, that's something I do often see people say online is, like, you know, Kanai is making so many bad decisions. Like, Kanai would be better if they would just make good decisions. But it's important to keep in mind, of course, that what we think or what you or I think is like a good decision isn't like objectively so. It simply is like a good decision in our eyes. Every bad decision is is someone's good decision. And every good decision is a bad decision to someone else. Yeah. And while that sounds like, you know, that might just be philosophical bullshit, it's actually true. Like literally, you know the same card that you think needs to be banned or the product that you think needs to be like this or that, like there's always a like, kind of ramifications with like Yu-Gi-Oh products and cards and everything. And so not everyone you, plays Yu-Gi-Oh the same way you do. Right. So if you drastically change something, even if it sort of seems like the online community says like, Oh, Konami completely botched this and made this terrible decision. We only represent like a fraction of who buys these cards and a fraction of who plays these cards and a fraction of like what people truly want from this game. So, um, I just say that to reassure people that, like, I don't think Konami makes, like, decisions that are just meant to be, like, awful, and they just somehow, like, they had some lapse in judgment and just let, like, no, I mean, they, they plan this stuff ahead of time, they know what's going on, it's, these are concerted, you know, the works. But, hey, if they do make bad decisions, we're free to criticize, and I look forward to it. Whether good or bad, because we'll be talking about it right here on the pod. All right. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this week's pod of greed. It's been a fun time. We'll see you next week. Past Past turn. turn.